Hey there, this is the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute, episode 43, Keeping the Doors Open. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, where we are building profitable food businesses, one product, one process, one thought at a time. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Hey there, this is Dr. P, and I am coming to you live for episode 43 of the podcast. I'm actually in the glorious city of Richmond, Virginia, at the American Cheese Society conference. I'm speaking tomorrow about my Strive uh, paradigm, having the hard conversations, and I'm super excited about it. I'm getting, um, I've been wandering around, like, talking to people, getting them to come to my talk, and it's going to be super, super fun and really relevant (laughs) to an awful lot of cheese producers these days. So, super excited to be here in Richmond uh, doing that. That means I'm doing the podcast from the road this week, and so the sound might sound a little off. Off because the microphoning system that I thought I had isn't actually working. <laughs> so my apologies for that. But you know what? We adapt and we overcome around here. And so this week, the podcast is actually all about what keeps you guys up at night. <laughs> and what keeps you guys up at night is whether or not you can keep the doors open. And I got so much clarity this week about what that actually means. So this week's podcast is all about how I help people keep the doors open, and then what you can do to make sure that you are keeping the doors open and it never gets to a point where you have to call me out on an emergency. So, and I know like right now that seems daunting and that seems super overwhelming and there's so many of you who are out there who are saying, I can't do that, I'm giving up, this is too much. And that thought only really creates a feeling of being overwhelmed. Like when you think it's too much, it is. (laughs) Okay. And I want you to know that that thought is totally, totally optional. And when you decide to have the thought that this is too much, you can only get overwhelmed from that. There's like only overwhelming confusion coming out of this is too much. And then you're never going to do anything, right? I mean, who else in overwhelming confusion? All you're going to do is like go and sit on the couch and, you know, like watch Netflix, (laughs) look at Instagram, look at how much better everybody else is killing it. And that's going to make you feel horrible, right? And you're never going to grow. So if you come from, if you come from the mindset that I can't do this, you're never going to grow, right? But we're all about your mindset around here. And so here's my challenge for you this week is that if you are in that mind space of, I can't do this, I really don't know how to keep the doors open. Well, what do you want to believe? What do you want to believe about the food that you make and how your food goes out and changes the world? You know, because you're keeping the doors open starts with your belief that you are valuable and that your food is in fact life-changing the way I know that it is, that I've gone out to your places and I've experienced your food as life-changing and what you do in your communities to build wealth and community in where you live, it's completely life-changing. And what if you started there? What if you really knew you do know how to keep the doors open? How does that feel to you? Well, when you feel like you know how to keep the doors open, that's a lot more confident, isn't it? And when you're feeling a lot more confident, you can go out there and you can do so many more 
things. Sure, might the to-do list be super long? Okay, yours, mine, everybody else's. <laughs> All right, but when you come from the belief that this is like able to be done, like you yourself can keep the doors open, then there's so much more available to you. And I wanna go through a story about what happened this week with a client of mine, and it's anonymized, and you're never gonna be able to figure out um, who they are until they let me do marketing with them. But here's the deal, is that I had a client who had um, a pretty big disaster happen. They had black water coming up through their retail facilities and through some other facilities, all right? And this is a disaster. So black water, for those of you who don't know, is water that contains human fecal material, <laughs> okay? And it's not, I mean, you know, like it, it creates an imminent health hazard in the language of the food code. And when it creates an imminent, when, when you have something that creates an imminent health hazard, you have to shut down. Well, it's the middle of the summer for many retailers. This is their high season, okay? And shutting down in the middle of the summer is an epic disaster, all right? And it's the same thing for my client, an epic disaster. And so last uh, week, I guess it was a week ago, um, I came to you guys and I actually recorded the podcast, like the intro to the podcast from the car while my husband was driving. <laughs> and um, we replayed a podcast because I was going out to a client on an emergency. So this is the story of that emergency. I wanted to provide some follow-up. So I um, got, I was off the phone with my client at 1.45 on Thursday and I was boots on the ground at his uh, facility and his operation um, by two o'clock in the morning. And I got up at six o'clock, I took myself for a walk, I did my self-coaching um, and I was at work at seven. And we met with his regulators of varying stripes. We had lots and lots of meetings. We did a walkthrough and I did a hazard analysis. I spent the whole morning doing a hazard analysis about where did the sewage go? What did it mean? Was it airborne? Did we have laminar flow? What does this mean for all of the food? Okay, you can do this, all right? You miss more by not looking than by not knowing. And you can go through and you can look at <laughs> uh, when disaster strikes, where it's actually struck. What does it actually mean? Was there splashing, okay? Splashing versus laminar flow, so laminar flow is like laminate, it's very smooth, um, is very, very different, especially in a sewage situation, okay? So, but you can determine that. You don't, I mean, I promise you, you do not need a doctorate to be able to determine that. And so, but we determined all of that, and then we did a hazard analysis. I was able to present the hazard analysis to his regulators in a way where we saved almost all of the food. At the end of the day, on Friday, and then going into Saturday, because we worked on Saturday, we saved more than 4,000 pounds of wholesale food, all right, some of that, some of which had been in production for a very, very long time, uh, and we saved almost all of the retail food. We didn't save the produce, um, and we didn't save some fish over on the retail side of the house, but that's it. I, I, we calculated that my efforts saved more than $150,000 worth of food, okay? We saved a, uh, a rehearsal dinner going on 
<laughs> I mean, that's pretty incredible, right? We didn't interrupt a bride's a bride's weekend where she was getting married, where where her you know she and her groom were celebrating with their families, and we were able to open for dinner service because nobody panicked. Everybody looked around, nobody panicked, and everybody cleaned according to the standard operating procedure. So one of the reasons we emphasize standard operating procedures around here is because. When you have an SOP, you know what to do. So after we went through and we did the hazard analysis and we, and we determined what the next steps were gonna be, you know what our very first next step was? Training, to make sure everybody was on the same page so they knew how to clean. Because you know what? There is nothing more useless than cleaning ineffectively after you have a sewage spill. Because then you have to go back and clean again and boy, doesn't that waste a lot of money. So here's the deal. You get in and you clean, all right? And I'm sure you guys have heard me say this before. You find soap that's, you know, rated to rated to cleaning up sewage, all right? Probably there are professionals involved with this. There were professionals involved um, in, in what I was doing, okay? So these, you know, these, these uh, uh, reclamation folks, water damage folks, that sort of thing, you call them, okay? You call your insurance company. You call the city. You work with the public health department. Those are all the things that you have to do in order to make sure that you get to keep the doors open. And if you proactively call those folks, they are going to be so much more receptive to your solutions. Because I was talking with the restaurant inspector, and she was like, yeah, I've been in restaurants where they actually have sewage up to their knees, and they don't think they should close. All right, that's not how we do things around here. If that's how you do things around here, stay around, get educated, because <laughs> that's not how we do things. All right, when you are presented with an imminent health hazard, you have to do something about it, okay? And we did. So the first thing that we did, honestly, was we pulled out the SOPs that we had previously trained on, and we trained on them again. And I made sure everybody knew how to use the soap, and that the soap had to stay on for seven to 12 minutes. I know y'all have heard that before, and it's because <laughs> it's really important, <laughs> okay? And then we talked about what we did with the food contact surfaces and the high-risk non-food contact surfaces and, and the, like, the low and, and then the non-food contact surfaces, okay? And how we clean those, all right? I had everybody sign in on training. I uh, presented those logs for training to the restaurant inspector so that she would have them and she got a copy of them to file with her report. And then I sent everybody to work and I went out and I verified and I watched people and I took my phone, like I literally took my phone and I used the, the stopwatch on it and I timed people that they were letting the soap sit on there for seven to 12 12 minutes, okay? Huge deal, any of you, huge deal, ready to eat food, soap stays on there for seven to 12 minutes. I will say this, this is probably what they're gonna put on my grave. All right, so that's what we did. And then on the, um, and then for the high-risk non-food contact surfaces, so those are things like the outside of containers that contain food, um, tables and, and things that people lean up against, those are high-risk non-food contact surfaces. We washed the soap off and then we applied a food safe bleach solution. And the fact that I had that all laid out for the health inspector when she got there meant, and we were executing it and she could watch us execute it, made the difference between her telling us we had to throw away all the food in the restaurant and we got to keep all the food in the restaurant that we had salvaged um, from the spill, okay? It's, I mean, like it was, 
tens of thousands of dollars worth of food and an entire night service that we couldn't have opened if we didn't have any food, right? We would have had to wait till tomorrow morning's delivery. So we trained and then we verified that people were doing what they said they were going to do. Okay. And that's how you do it. Like you observe where everything goes, you make sure you clean up adequately, and then you verify that people did what they said they were going to do. Those are the steps for coming back from a disaster. But they're all predicated, believe it or not, not on putting your soap on for 7 to 12 minutes. They are predicated on observations. What are you observing? How do you know you are doing things correctly? Because we are super fond of saying you missed more by not looking than by not knowing over here, okay? And that verification step where I spent the day following people around with a stopwatch and writing stuff down, all that is is verification. All it is is saying, okay, I'm watching them clean this, I'm watching them clean this, I'm watching them clean this. And they were super excited at the health department that I could do that. And they trusted me enough that they said, okay, Dr. P, on your, on your say-so, we'll let them reopen. And that's what we did. And we saved service for the entire weekend. Again, tens of thousands of dollars, both in like direct sales for the company, but also in the indirect, um, there's more tens of thousands of dollars in like all of those workers who got to work this weekend. I mean, everybody else, you all know what it's like in food service. Everybody needs that paycheck. Precious few industries where people don't need the paycheck, but everybody got to work this weekend. And that's huge. Uh, that's amazing. People got to go out to dinner at their favorite place when they went to this, this resort town. That makes a huge difference in the economic viability. And if you like add all of that stuff up, my efforts in getting out there probably saved a quarter of a million dollars of economic viability, of food, of paychecks, of taxes, of sales taxes, all of that sort of stuff, alcohol sales. That means something, okay? And so when I talk about that we are building wealth and community here at the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute. That's what I'm talking about. That we actually built wealth. We had an emergency and we built wealth. And I'm not just talking about my wealth because yes, my client paid me. Yes, this costs money, my friends. But wealth within their community that they could go forth and build a more resilient business with, okay? That's what we're all about here, and that is something that everybody around here can do. And you do it by understanding what your minimum viable product is. Like my client has been with me for a while, and they super understand what their minimum viable product is, and they know it's not just their food. It's their food wrapped in an envelope of, um, of, of regulatory compliance that was super important this weekend that they understood and that they had me on staff to understand. And then wrapped in customer expectations, okay? Their customers expect a certain level of quality of food from them, and they know it. And they were able to meet that because we were able to track times and temperatures and everything that came out of the coolers that were affected and all that jazz. Okay, and so when you're looking about how to restore after an emergency, you look to your minimum viable product. And how are you creating your minimum viable product? But what that also means is, is you have to know what your minimum viable product is before an emergency happens, okay? And 
you know, so I'm an army officer. <laughs> I served in the army. And one of the things that we do is that we have a manual for that. Like one of the reasons I'm so good at writing SOPs is because the army taught me how to do it. And the army runs on manuals and your minimum viable product has a manual that goes, that, that is associated with it. It's the specifications, it's the regulations, and then it's your customer expectations. You should have all of that stuff written down so that you know that you are meeting that. And when you know that you are meeting that, it makes all the difference in the world because then you can put when, when you can put the process and the people in place to go forth and meet that. And then of course it's your product, your process, and your people that create that wealth bucket that we talk about where your wealth falls in and it accumulates for you and for your um for your community and, and you give back to your community because you're accumulating wealth yourself. And that's how it works. That is how sustainable small food works, my friends. So anyway, so that's the story. That's the happy ending to the story of me um, that you guys heard about on the podcast last week uh, of me running off to a client. So all's well that ends well. We have a few more things to a uh, few more things to get done. And there are, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty excited. There are some things that are going to get done that I've been telling them to do for two years. So I win. <laughs> so it's super exciting. Um, but you know, that's, you too know how to keep the doors open. Okay. And that's what we're here for. We are here to help you guys keep the doors open. And if you're really interested in doing that, you know, we haven't come over to the, uh, to the proofing box on Facebook. And for those of you who are here on the Facebook live, if you're interested in working with us, um, you know how to get in touch with me, <laughs> I hope, <laughs> fill out the application to come and work with us. And we'd love to work with you because the power group that we have, um, especially at our, like, at our, at our, I don't want to say our most basic level, but at the, at the, at the, at the, um, the baseline level, I guess, is what, what you would call it, um, where we're really teaching you how to do the work. There's nothing like that out in the world. Like it really teaches you how to grow and scale your business, how to start up and frame your business in a way, um, that you can create wealth and community. And we'd love to have you as part of that. So anyway, so that's what we got for the podcast this week. You too can keep the doors open. And if you do need help keeping the doors open, of course we're here for you. So get in touch with us. Um, I know there are some people watching on the Facebook Live. If you have any questions, I'm going to finish the podcast now. You guys have been great. Have a great week. But I'll stick around for questions. All right. Looks like you guys don't have any questions. That's totally fine. I um, will be coming to you live next week, and um, we will uh, um, bring your questions uh, then, and we'd love to hear from you. Everybody have a great day. Bye. You've been listening to Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele on the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast. We hope you loved the show. For more information and show notes, please find us at sfbdi.com. Thanks for listening.